0: We shall meet, but we shall miss him. There will be one vacant chair. We shall linger to caress him While we breathe our evening prayer. When a year ago we gathered Welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode, I look at around 100 pages of the works of great American writers while giving my thoughts, my comments, and some historical perspective. Um, So thank you for continuing to listen. Uh, I am currently looking looking at a couple or three of the novels of Louisa May Alcott. um, And we're actually... um, Looking at little men right now And this will be the second episode of little, on little men So I urge you if you're just joining us To go back to listen to my At least the previous episode where I introduce little men Introduce some of the characters and themes Or To go back and listen to what I have to say about little women Because I think a lot of In this way this this novel of course complements it Not just in the name And the fact that it's set in the same world With many of the same characters But thematically there's a lot of overlap as well So I think the next two episodes on Little Men are going to be rather short. I was giving writing down my notes on them. I, I found I didn't have as much to say on the second and third parts of, of Little Men, but I think that's that's fine. Um, I'm going to stick to the hundred pages at a time format. But I guess I have a little bit of announcement to make. Uh, you know, i live in taiwan so it's hard to get library of america books i, I used to subscribe and then they'd, they'd send you like one a month or you, i think you could set it up to be two a month or, or once six a year or whatever you wanted and i did that um, and when you subscribe you get you don't get them in the black book jackets you find in the library or if you just buy them at the bookstore you you get them in these slip cases um, and they have a little like bookmark uh, inserts well they're inserts that describe the book and try to promote other ones but they work as really nice bookmarks as well um so i you know i usually can't get them and they're pretty expensive here but i did if you order internationally it it takes a long time but you know you only have to pay like 30 dollars shipping so i made a huge order i ordered 31 books and they and they've all come in now so i have a lot more options looking forward to what i'm going to uh see look at and share with you. A lot of stuff I haven't read before. Um, Much of what I've been looking at are things I've read before, even read several times before. Uh, Now I can kind of open up and and look at some things um, more broadly. So now I have about 130 volumes and I think they're sitting at a little over 300 now, maybe 301 last I checked, but they're they're constantly publishing new books. So I'm getting close to the halfway point of, of my collection. And if I You know, I might just go ahead and just buy the rest if I ever run into the the cash, have the free cash to do it. So what can we look forward to in the future based on this new shipment? Well, one thing is we've got a lot more uh, women writers that I'll be able to introduce. I really supplemented my collection in terms of women writers. So we have Edith Wharton in particular. And of course, along with her, I got a bunch of Henry James. I got about five volumes of Henry James. And I think all told, I've published 14 or 15 volumes of, of Henry James. But um, certainly, I'll probably look at Edith Wharton first. Willa Cather, who I'm really excited to get into, who I haven't really read before, but as a Midwestern writer, I, I'm really interested in what she has to say about the kind of places that I, I come from. I'm, I was from Wisconsin, and she's more of a Nebraska writer. But you know, and since we don't have any Wisconsin writers yet, in my collection at least, Oh, I got Aldo Leopold, I, I do have that. So we'll probably look at that someday, but I've already um, looked at that. I got Lincoln, um, some Ben Franklin's works, Faulkner, two volumes of William Faulkner, Eugene O'Neill's, three volumes of his plays. And it might be fun to see what we can do with with the plays. I don't know if, I, I guess I could still do that 100 pages. Some of those plays are, are shorter. Let me th- see what else. Well, I got Whitman, one volume of Whitman, and and some other stuff so uh carson mccullers um so anyways a lot of great stuff i mean i'll never be able to finish this this series i I think i'm currently doing around 12 volumes uh a year at the pace i'm going and they publish like 15 a year so unless they they stop doing that and i have a chance to catch up i mean uh, there's they'll never end there'll be a never-ending list of books i could be looking at uh, so i'll take your suggestions if you have any and then there's a, a bunch of, of other ones i have I, it's already been recommended that i do love lovecraft and i'm working on a book right now on lovecraft on his racial thought and his racial thinking and and eugenics and immigration and, and trying to deal with some of the, the racial aspects of his of his work you know i hesitated looking at lovecraft just because there's a really great podcast out there called the hp lovecraft literary podcast which does a really good job of introducing those those texts um but you know maybe i'll think about doing that as well well we'll see um i'll, I'll make a decision when the time comes I, I was playing with the idea of doing a sleepy hollow series which i probably could almost do it just would take so long and i'm, I'm not that keen on spending that much time with those transcendentalists uh, i do have one volume of throw three volumes of emerson's stuff including his journals um, there's actually a lot of stuff in the Library of America that's going to be, I think, hard to podcast about, like Henry James's literary criticism or Poe's book reviews, which are really fun to read and interesting to explore, but they might they might be a bit rough to talk about. I'll have to think about it when I get when I get to them. Um, but like Emerson's journals is a good example of that. I have two volumes of his journals. And I don't know what I would say about some of those things. Um, so anyway, that's that's my news. Um, and, you know, just a lot of opportunities here. And plus if anything I can't get here, I can then look at the library, get from the library usually. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. Um, there's a good chance I have it as long as it's in the Library of America. Okay, so with that, let's let's get into Louisa May Elcott's novel, Little Men. We'll be looking at chapters eight to 14, the second third of the book. It's, it's around 300 pages in the, in the Library of America version. So Little Men, if, if you are just joining us, Little Men explores the life of the students and the teachers and the associates of Plumfield, which is, used to be a house, but it's been transformed by Joe Bear and her, and her husband, Professor Bear, into a school for a diverse set of boys and from different backgrounds. And it's funded in large part by the donations and the support of the Lawrences who of course Lori Lawrence marries Amy, which is Joe's sister in the in Little Women and they're they're major characters in here because they're providing a lot of the financial support for the school. It's therefore a novel about education it's about young men growing up into into men about learning their profession about learning their place in the world about having a home. Some of these boys didn't have a home before and they, they have a home. So these are some of the themes in this in this novel. Okay, chapter eight, it's called Plays and Pranks. It's a pretty a loose chapter and it's something that Alcott likes to do a lot of, of really, often her chapters have themes, but this is just one of just showing kind of kids, kids at play or kids having a good time. So they're just playing around at Plumfield doing their own thing, right? So this is a very loose school. It doesn't have a lot of rules. And in fact, for a novel about education and about a school, we spend very little time actually in the classroom, which I think is a very interesting aspect of, of the novel so quote Daisy and Demi were full of these whims and lived in a world of their own peopled with lovely and grotesque creatures to whom they gave the queerest names and with whom they played the queerest games one of these nursery inventions was an invisible sprite called the naughty Kinsmooth, who the children had believed in feared and served for a long time End quote so we have imagination as part of this play and, and the kids are shown as very imaginative at this, this moment which is of course an important part of kids education I think is cultivating their, their imagination um, but here I want to focus on Billy. Billy is a character that I introduced in the previous episode, which I think it's very interesting that Billy is in this novel, but Alcott doesn't give Billy much to do, unfortunately. Um, and there's another character, Jack Ford. Both of these are boys with disabilities. One has like physical disabilities uh, and the other has, has developmental disabilities. And we don't see, they don't do much. And I think Alcott doesn't quite know what to do with them, but they do show up in this um Chapter. Quote, one listener who was never tired and to whom he was more than a mere schoolmate. Poor Billy's chief delight was to lie beside the brook, watching leaves and bits of foam dance by, listening dreamily to the music in the willow trees. He seemed to think Nat a sort of angel who sat aloft and sang for a few baby memories, still lingered in his mind and seemed to grow brighter at these times. Seeing the interest he took in Nat, Mr. Bear begged him to help to lift the cloud from the feeble brain by this gentle spell. Glad to do anything to show his gratitude, Nat always smiled on Billy when he followed him about and let him listen undisturbed to the music which seemed to speak a language he could understand. Help one another was a favorite Plumfield motto and Nat learned how much sweetness is added to life by trying to live up to it. And then we have a chapter about Jack Ford who has physical disabilities. And here's part of the problem with how Billy is portrayed is he's just a conduit to show the charity of Nat. he's not really given much of identity or character on his own. And maybe it's because Elcott really can't get into his head. Um, but you know, I just I just again want to acknowledge that Elcott is introducing characters with disabilities and children with disabilities and whatever failings they have in the her de- depiction. I think it's significant that we have an American writer this early trying to tackle the question of childhood disability. Now, in this chapter, the children form an institution called the club, which seems to be a fairly dynamic little school organization that tries to make a place for all the kids. It's a bottom-up social organization of the school. And Nan, a girl, forces her way into the club. And, and Nan is a bit tomboyish; She's a bit like Joe was in Little Women. Um, but she's always even more radical in some ways than Joe in the sense she's trying to force her way into these male organizations and friendships and partnerships constantly. Um, and she's, she's like... I think almost a, a symbol for emerging feminism of the later 19th century. This novel was written in 1871, not long after Little Women. So next chapter, Daisy's Ball, chapter nine, Daisy's Ball. So in this chapter, Daisy organizes a ball, essentially like a get-together, a party at the school, inviting her parents and others to the school. Nat and the school band play provide the music. And during dinner, the boys ruin it with a good kind of food fight. They do other things during the day, including playing kites. The conclusion of this chapter reminds us that the most important things in life is the coming together of friends. But you know, it's not the perfection of of the meeting. It parallels a chapter in Little Women where Amy's has a party, and she's the most sociable of the girls in Little Women, and she has a party, and she was really upset that the party didn't go perfectly for her. It's not as nice as she hoped, and and Daisy's having this challenge too, that her party is not achieving what she really wanted but everyone had a good time right and I think another interesting thing here is we have a chapter showing the dynamic and complex relationships between young people and adults Um, something here that's under the surface of Alcott's novels constantly where adults and young people can have relationships you know where they can learn from each other and it's not all one way it's not just in the classroom or parents to to children there these relationships can be more dynamic and it's an important part of growing up an important part of of learning to be an adult is interacting with adults Um, I think this was in the Philip K Dick podcast where I talked about the old tradition I had to do when I was growing up which was calling friends and you'd have to talk to the parent for a while right and you had to go through this ritual two minutes one minute talking to the parents before uh, he or she would give you this, the, the friend, your friend Kids don't have to do this anymore because of cell phones um, But I, I think it's an important thing I, I think it's important to cultivate relationships with adults Who aren't teachers or, or parents as part of, of growing up Maybe now everyone is so safety concerned and I mean there's legitimate fears out there But let's not be paranoid here Let's not go nuts Chapter 10, Home Again uh, so it's summertime and the school is focused on farm work we're reminded that this school is very much a, a not just about educating uh, kids in the classroom it's also about um, developing their whole life skills an important part of life for americans in the 19th century was farm work so that's what they're being taught to do um each kid has like their own garden and their their own experiments and their own farming and later on they're going to harvest these and each going to have their own they're even gonna have like a little farmer's market later on which is kind of nice and in a nice little addition well during this chapter they find Dan sleeping in the barn now Dan was a character who visited Plumfield who he tried to be a member of the Plumfield community but he couldn't obey the rules so eventually he had to be kicked out sent to another home to stay at he was a street kid like Nat was and they actually knew each other on the streets he's a little bit older though Um, But he actually ran away from where he was and didn't have anywhere to go. And he eventually wandered back to Plumfield. He's seriously injured. So he he actually has a hurt leg, I think it is, and he needs various cares. And Joe takes responsibility for this care. Uh, And something I didn't talk about before, but often like Joe's role in Plumfield is more kind of there's a kind of a separate spheres thing going on here where her role is more caring for kids caring for their hearts, discipline, things like that. Mr. Bear is more that he's the teacher. He's the real educator. Uh, and he'll give more formal didactic lessons and Joe gives more lessons of the heart. Now both have a contribution, but there is this kind of separation of labor, which might pique the interest of, of people who are interested in feminism and and perhaps Alcott's views of, of gender. Now, Dan here, you know, he gives some of his background, what happened to him. But while the previous chapter about Dan was mostly about the trouble he caused and the problems in his life, this chapter begins to explore some of his virtues a little bit more in depth. He's very eager to be part of the community of Plumfield again. He's he's eager to accept the rules handed down by Joe and Mr. Bear and the others. So he wants to redeem himself. And there's a kind of an interesting character in the background here that Dan talks about. It's the Mr. Hyde. And he works with animals. He, and he's almost presented as a forest spirit of type he's someone that Dan knew in the in the woods um, let me find the passage for this who is Mr. Hyde? oh he was a man who lived around the woods studying these things I don't know how you'd call him he wrote about frogs and fishes and so on he stayed at Pages and used to want me to go and help him and it was great fun because he told me ever so much and was uncommonly jolly and wise I hope to see him again sometimes I hope you will says Mrs. Joe. So, I mean, he's probably some naturalist or something, but he just kind of passes through Dan's life and it made this really big impression on him. And, you know, he's kind of, you will only ever see him associated with kind of living in the woods. That's why I said he's kind of like a forest spirit. He just passes through. We never actually meet him in the story. He's just there through Dan's memories. But Dan, we learn, is very interested in collecting insects and, and collecting animals and working with animals and working with nature. And this is going to shape his, his later life. Um, We find that he can teach the other boys and girls something about collecting and preserving insects. So it's kind of interesting. Now, being reintroduced to Plumfield, Dan is very happy and content, and this chapter ends with his prayers of thanksgiving for the good luck he now has. So chapter 11, Uncle Teddy. So Dan is still recovering from his injuries. One of the students gives him this book of insects, which really excites him greatly. And and this book's actually going to be... uh, a bit of a, a plot device later in the story at a very important chapter Which do I look at it today? Yeah, I will get to it in this episode um, But he's really excited by this book Laurie arrives and he announces that he's going to help the students establish a small museum for themselves It will be a place where they can show their things and carry on scientific work Well, so anyways, um, it's, it's this Teddy's trying to set up this This museum and the place they kind of used to do this is an old carriage house. And the students set to fixing up the place and making it their own. So Lori just kind of donates it, but it's up to the students to make it a museum. And Lori ends up giving a speech at the end on the opening commencement of, of the museum. Um, and again, we're reminded of how much education has to be proactive, how much it has to be uh, child-centered, if you, if you want to use that that, that lingo but they learn students learn by doing things by being active they don't learn things by just sitting in a classroom and you know, it's important we don't spend much time in the classroom in this this nice little novel chapter 12 huckleberries the, the heart of this chapter is a little adventure story nan and rob rob i haven't talked about too much before but he's joe and mr bear's five-year-old son um and you know i talked before about Kids interacting with adults, but you know, kids, older kids interacting with younger kids is an important part of this upbringing too. I think important part of just having this kind of a fully formed social life, if you will, for, for children. If they just hang out with people their own age, you know, it's I think it can be kind of limiting. And of course, families provide that diversity often if there's you know more than one or two kids. Um, but here we have Nan playing with the younger kid, a five-year-old, and they get lost p- picking huckleberries. Nan proves herself to be quite capable of taking care of Rob during this time, that they're lost, and she exhibits bravery as well. As it gets late, Joe and the others at Plumfield notice their absence and mobilize their efforts to track them down. And when they're finally found, they discuss punishment, and Joe talks about a time when she was a young girl and how she got lost and how her mother tied her to a bedpost. Rob says that he also got lost, and so he should be punished along with Nan. And so he shows a bit of bravery there as, as a five-year-old willing to take um, punishment. That's a, kind of an uncommon thing among children of that age. And they eventually, they're not punished really severely. And eventually they enjoy the fruits of their labor, which is a huckleberry pie. And kind of sort of everyone benefits from this little adventure, but it's a little scare. Uh, certainly for a five-year-old, it would be inter- quite scary, but it's, we see how brave and responsible Nan can be. You know, she really takes control of the, the situation. Um, Chapter 13 is called Goldilocks This is Goldilocks is Lori and Amy's daughter Beth or Elizabeth She's named after Beth um, Who is Amy's older sister Who died in the previous novel Um, But she's called Goldilocks Like like Amy she has gold hair Blonde hair Her visits are always very welcome at Plumfield She's a bit of a germaphobe She's a bit um, High strung at times But everyone really likes her And she's uh, very friendly during her visit, Jo was reminded of why she wanted Nan to join the school, and that is this presence of girls is healthy for the school made up of mostly boys. And she confirms that, yes, Nan has been having this good effect, just like Beth's, Beth, Beth's visits or um, Goldilocks's visits do. Bess doesn't stay long, and everyone is very sad that she goes. Quote, they all missed her, and each dimly felt that he was better for having known a creature so lovely, delicate, and sweet, for little Bess appeared appealed to the chivalrous instinct in them as something to love, admire, and protect with a tender sort of reverence. Many men remember some pretty child who had made place in his heart, and kept his memory alive by the simple magic of her innocence. These little girls were just learning to feel this power and to love it for its gentle influence, not ashamed to let the small hand lead them, nor to let their loyalty to womankind even in the bud. Um, So these kids, I think what you're saying here is that that playing with girls is part of learning to be a man in relation to women, right? You, you, You learn to interact with women and treat them right. I think that's what it comes down to. So, Damien and Pythe, uh, Pythias, chapter 14. Well, let's talk about this. This is a major chapter in the book. It's maybe the central chapter, the most important in a lot of ways. Okay, so from Wikipedia. In Greek historical writing, Damon and Pythias is a legend surrounding the Pythagorean ideal of friendship. Pythias is accused in charge of creating a plot against the tyrannical Dionysus first of Syracuse. Pythias makes a request of Dionysus that he be allowed to settle his affairs on the condition that he leaves his friend Damon as a hostage. So if Pythias does not return, Damon would be executed. Eventually, Pythias returns to face execution to the amazement of Dionysus, who, be, who because of the sincere trust and love of the friendship, then lets both Damon and Pythias go free. All right so if you don't know the story that's what it is from um, Wikipedia I don't know how much classical education we get anymore I, I, we don't get the Greek gods right and of course if you read Percy Jackson you get you get that but um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how much people know these stories anymore um, certainly I didn't learn Damon and Pythias in, in like high school So anyways Tommy's egg business is doing really well Tommy is a character who's good friends with Nat uh he's a bit of a trickster he's he's the kind of character like tom sawyer in a way that you imagine is going to grow up to be either a lawyer or a businessman or kind of a capitalist uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to uh twain but his business is doing really well and he has a bit of cash some of this money disappears and there's a whole mystery about what happened to the money and who's responsible for it mr bear talks to the boys about what happened and tries to get an answer. He basically wants someone to confess. Nat is accused. He's seen as the street kid, the one the one who lies all the time. And so Nat's lying here kind of sort of comes to bite him. He denies lying. He is known to be a liar, so his denials are not trusted. Only Daisy seems to believe Nat and Daisy's quite close to Nat and, and Tommy as well. So she's she's kind of the glue during this break in that in that relationship. When another boy suggests to Nat that maybe it was Dan who did this, Nat is furious and defends Nat honor. So, so the Damon and Pythias is Dan and Nat in this story, where their friendship, which predates the novel in a lot of ways, they, they met each other on the streets and he brings him to Plumfield. He's the most happy that Dan returns. Uh, he really kind of vouches for him at various times in the book. So you have that's that's the metaphor here. So Damon and Pythias are, are Dan and Nat. The mystery eventually ascends into the boy's plain law, which is a nice little fun moment. And again, we're reminded of how important play is to, to education. Here's, here's, here's what the, um, Tommy says at one point. I must. Emile says, when one man bezels, I believe that's a word, word I mean to take the money and cut away with it, the property of a firm, the other one sues him or pitches onto him somehow and won't have anything more to do with him. Now you have bezeled my property. I shan't sue you, I shan't pitch into you, but I must dissolve our partnership because I can't trust you and I don't wish to fail. Uh, so they, Tommy here is practicing this lawyerly language. And you know, you of course you imagine he's gonna grow up to be a lawyer. I have to go back and look him up in, in Joe's boys to see if that's actually how he ends up. Now, Joe's boys focuses on different characters. It focuses on, on Nat and Dan and Emil mostly. Um, But Now, despite all this, this is really devastating for Nat, who's losing his friend, he feels he can't be trusted, and eventually they, they learn that Dan sold an insect book, his insect book that's so important to him. It was a gift given to him when he returned to Plumfield, a symbol of his return to Plumfield. It's also what he wants to do with his life, is to study animals, and he really loved this book. He studied, he was on his side constantly when he was recuperating from his injury. And he sells it and it's worth $1. And he wants to pay, give the money to Tommy so Tommy can make amends with, with, you know, or makes amends with Nat. Dan admits, though, that he's the one who took the dollar and accepts the punishment. And he really accepts it, you know, in a stand-up way. You know, um, you know they said, even at one point, I think says, like, I, I, I'll take the punishment even if I didn't do it or whatever but he's basically he's taking this punishment on himself later though they learn that it was really this other boy Jack who stole the money and he confessed after Dan helps protect him from injury during a fall so there's a scene where Jack is about to fall Dan risks his life essentially to protect him from this fall and then Jack felt so bad that Dan had to sell his book for his crime that he confesses and he confesses in writing and leaves Plumfield uh, and goes back to his father so the result of all this is that the estimation of Dan is increased in the school due to his virtues and in this chapter we learn much about Dan's character that he's willing to sacrifice himself for his friends in the same way that that Nat is willing to stand up for him and we get the most moral acts in a way from from these from these other char- from from these characters from the streets. He's willing to take responsibility for others if necessary. And these will be important parts of his character in, in Joe's Boys. Oh, I just realized I was talking about Jack Ford earlier as the character with physical uh, disabilities. It's, it's not him. He's from like a poor family that's very money conscious. The, the one with physical handicaps is, is Dick Brown. And here's how he's described in earlier in the novel. Um. Okay. Oh no! Sorry. So, what's it? Just a second. Yeah, here it is. Dick Brown's affliction was a crooked back. Yet he bore his burden so cheerfully that Demi was asked him in his queer way. Do humps make people good natured? I'd like one if I. They did. Dick was always merry, but he did his best to like the other boys, for his plucky spirit lived on the feeble little boy body. So I, I confused him with um, with Jack a little bit later. But Jack's another interesting character, um, who. We learn more about his family and how kind of the characteristics of his father affect how he makes decisions. And he, you know, one reason, of course, a big part of this is one reason he sent to Plumfield because it's cheap, and his father doesn't want to spend more money um, on that. And this kind of uh, avarice is entered into Jack's character, and that that's why he's the the thief in this chapter. So sorry about that. Um, I'm sure that's not the first mistake I made in this podcast on points of plot or details. So anyways, we that that kind of does it for this part of the novel, uh, the second hundred pages. And you know, we got some new themes here that are important to introduce. Um, Well, one is conflict and restoration. It happens actually a couple of times here, certainly in this chapter, Damon and Pythias, but also in Dan's whole arc where he comes back and he's restored to the, the family, the friendship of Nat and Tommy is restored. So that that happens several times, or even when Nan gets lost and she's restored to the community. So these people who leave and they come back, which is a theme in Little Women as well. Often characters leave, but they come back to their homes. Virtue is discussed here too, especially where does virtue come from? And we see the characters with the most shady background carrying on some of the most virtuous lives and making the most virtuous decisions. Through the character of Tommy, we see the importance, of the theme of capitalism and money making and business as it's becoming increasingly more important in American history and American life as America was becoming an industrial economy. There would be more young men who would have dreams like Tommy, Tommy's to, to make money, to make a buck, to start a corporation or whatever. We have a lot here between the relationship between girls and boys, especially with the character of, of Goldilocks, who is a more classical feminine character, and then Nan, who's, who's the tomboy, uh, but. But it's Nan who's the one who really intrudes herself into the institutions of, of male childhood, like the clubs and the games. Goldilocks is Elizabeth, whatever you want to call her. Her she's more um, there to teach the boys how to treat women properly. I think. Theme running throughout this whole novel, of course, is work and play and education. Um, You know the relationship between work and play And then finally crime Uh, We have a serious crime A a theft and the consequences of that Theft and what it meant and how it Breaks up communities How it breaks up friendships and eventually Leads to somewhat the shattering Of of the community of Plumfield Because Jack Ford has you know he leaves He runs away from his school um, When he realizes He can't really face his crime Right? It doesn't seem like a big crime, but from the perspective of childhood, these are big, important things, and um, and they're traumatic. So um, that I guess that does it for this part. I'll uh, we'll come back shortly with the final episode on Little Men, but we won't be done with Alcott even then. We, we still have to look at Joe's Boys, and so we'll do a couple episodes on Joe's Boys, the shortest of this trilogy. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any feelings about this novel, if you've read it, I, I would love to know what you think about it you have any responses to make um i'd be you know i just really love to to hear what you have to think about this this novel i i like it it's my probably my least favorite of the little woman trilogy uh, i actually I, I find joe's boys a little bit more interesting in some ways I, I might have more to say about it but looking back at this reading it and rereading it i'm, I'm really interested in how this novel looks at play And education and, and growing up And I think there's a lot We can still learn From from novels like this um, So again Thank you so much for listening I will be back shortly uh, If you have any comments You can send them To 100pagescast At gmail.com But in the meantime I'm going to keep reading And I hope you are too And I'll see is you in 100 pages are, But a golden cord Is severed and our hopes in ruin lie we shall meet but we shall miss him there will be one vacant chair we shall